Welcome to the Let's Keep It Going podcast. I'm Lindsay Day. Number three. Number That's three. official. And I'm surrounded by Thomas Salyer, creative director, and Nick Cunningham, lead pastor of Emmaus Church. This is so official. I know. I love it. Yeah. Because the third one is like, it's like real now. Like it's, if you don't do it just once, it's like a pilot. I hope we sound good. I haven't been listening to him, the podcast. We do. Can't, I can't listen to him. Because you can't hear your own voice? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. We're, we were talking about this beforehand that our voices sound much more nasally when we hear a recording as opposed to how it sounds in our own. That has to be like school. an acoustic phenomenon. Yeah, like, mine, like mine just sounds like I have like an extremely low voice. Like you, You've been kind of a quiet talker today. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talk quiet. It's like, no, you don't always do. But today it's been especially like whispery almost. Kind of sultry first on air fight about to happen. <laughs> and clear. Yeah. This is when when we start the podcast. This is why I'm here. Like I'm the mediator. And comes goes into the kitchen. Yeah, we're at Nick's, Nick's house today. And so we have his children and, and his dog <laughs> to dog. deal with. And the roofers next door. So all right, fellas. Yeah, let's what are we it. doing here today? We are continuing conversation of what we've heard on Sunday. Mm-hmm. This past Sunday, we we're still in our James series and Deborah served a good word. Yeah, she, awesome. Yeah, she did. She can teach. Yeah, she can. It's been cool getting to know her. You know, she uh in this, you know, community that we're a part of, the Irmo area, she is a she's a big deal. She wouldn't say that, but I mean, she's you know, had a big impact on a lot of people. Uh, she was a pastor at a a church in the area for a long time and she's just very good at developing people. So, yeah. A lot of folks who knew her from the past have kind of found their way um to Emmaus and yeah, she's a gift. She's yeah, a gift. She so if you haven't watched or listened to that message, go back. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's also on Vimeo. It's on our website, EmmausChurchSC.com. Where else? On the app. Mm-hmm. Lots of places. Lots yep. of places. A whole bunch of places. And just to get you caught up, we're going to run a recap. We're going to do a recap now, but I thought we're going to talk about what's something fun we can do. Well, oh, I have an icebreaker. Oh, we got an icebreaker. Yeah, I have an icebreaker. All right. We um were recording on a Tuesday. Spoiler nope. alert. On a Tuesday. And we do it right after our staff meeting. And Thomas busted into an excellent accent slash impersonation. So I need to know, like, what is your mm. go-to mm. best accent or impersonation? Mm. You should do the Ned Flanders while you while you think. That's not Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders is like this. Like that's you do. Ned Flanders. Uh I did uh, Hank Hill. Hank Hill. Gosh darn it, Bobby. <laughs> Thomas is pretty good at impressions. Good. He does a good Trump. He does a good Biden. I don't do a good Trump. And I don't, I, you don't want me to do Biden. I'd upset some people <laughs> doing no. an impersonation of the president right now. So <laughs> I can do a pretty good Sean Connery. Okay, let's That's kind of my go-to. Let's hear it. Hey, you can't pretty. What if she want to do that bowl and get to know ya? You guys should see what? his eyebrows when <laughs> he did that. I got a little nervous for a second. His eyebrows. Uh, when- uh, Sean, he'd... Um, and then there was a movie he was in where he played a, the voice of a dragon. Remember that? Dragon. Yeah, Dragon Heart. Yeah, he's like, dragons love to sing when we're happy. <laughs> like that. I love how you wanted just to do accents, but we- I said we accent or Or impressions? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to try to do a South African accent, but it's hard. It is, because it just sounds- like It sounds Australian, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's like- yeah, what about what are you doing? What are you doing, man? I mean, That's I resort good. to to British. <laughs> That's good. That's a little Jamaican. What are you doing? I can okay, do Jamaican. Okay, yeah. A windjammer. A windjammer. Let's not doing Jamaican accents. 
Uh, I'll, let's do uh, uh, Eastern European accents only, please. No. Uh, no, I wasn't prepared for that. All right. Can you do impersonations of your friends? Charms. Like, what about us? Like, Thomas, well, Thomas Kilburn Thomas, does impersonations of us. Thomas speaks in parables. So my impersonation of Thomas would involve, it'd be more the, let's do it. not the That's manner in which you speak, but the word. I like, don't do parables you kind of do talking uh, parables you kind of mush all of that up <laughs> i talk we have a parable allegory simile metaphor i talk like uh, i talk like um bones mccoy from star trek is that he always, he always likes he always like uh you don't jim you don't put your best stallion out to pasture until you're ready to ride ride the long race <laughs> you exactly know how you like you are bones you know yeah. he always does like a little metaphor he's like quit talking in riddles like I'm this is Thomas. Members. Anyway, this is Thomas. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Time for the recap. Great icebreaker. Let's yeah. recap. Yeah. Recap. Here's the recap. Do the music. We've been learning uh, from uh, Nick as we've been going through the book of James that uh, this book has been written to Jewish followers of Jesus who started out in Jerusalem, but because of persecution and times of trials, they've been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And James is their uh, pastor, their elder, is writing to them because he's concerned. And there's a sense that perhaps they're also doubting to no longer pursue the way of Jesus. He cares desperately. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I feel like people get hung up on the arguments about, you know, whether we're saved from eternal damnation by our good behavior, whether we're considered in right standing with God. That's not a conversation that brings life to me. That really the point of this passage is that James and every other New Testament writer is trying to make, it is impossible to separate faith and works. Because you know what? That's what Jesus taught. There's no way, I don't believe, that we are saved because of the good things we do. When we're talking about being forgiven and saved in the, in the macro cosmic sense, there's no way we're saved because of the good things we do. But neither are we saved because we make a statement of faith. We are saved only by the great good will of God. Jesus said it this way. He said, you are forgiven because God is merciful and compassionate toward the wicked and the ungrateful. When we talk about the word saved, and we tend to think about it in that like eternal damnation being saved from that, that rescued. That's true, it means that. But the word sozo also has another meaning. It means healed, a faith that works in this life to heal you. The truth is, because you know what happens when you try to live the way Jesus did? It puts you in positions where you actually encounter him and it reinforces your faith and your faith grows. Right, so what did we what do we think about the sermon? Any takeaway thoughts? What are you still chewing on, right? I have one. Yeah. I think, you know, when Deborah preaches, she is a a very good way something sticks with me the rest of the week. 
you know, I chew on it for a while. And I think what's going to stick with me from, from this message was the simple education about the word sozo for saved, actually translating to healing. Mm -hmm. And I think about Christianity, the reputation of Christianity in the church today. And if we focused more on the translation of are you healed or are you healing mm -hmm. versus are you saved? Have you said, said a prayer? Mm -hmm. It makes it, it changes it a lot from, from passive into more of like a process. Yeah. And I just wonder, I wonder yeah. where Christianity would be with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can notoriously be really hard on that whole idea of, you know, the gospel being a ticket to mm -hmm. heaven after you die. I will say over the last few years, some of the, situations i had to walk into as a pastor you kind of come back to the real gift of that of knowing there's peace you know when, when after this like this isn't all that there is there really is peace you know after after death it can be but i agree with you like in terms of the church's presence in the world a gospel that is fixated on getting people saved into a eternity after mm -hmm. you know death it creates a lot of converts yeah it doesn't make very many disciples you know what I'm saying? So it's people who will profess a particular belief in something so that they can get the reward of it. But in terms of their actual presence in this life and in this world, not very much changes, mm -hmm. you know, when that's, when that's what the gospel is. Yeah. But when you realize the gospel is, you know, it's holistic, it does involve afterlife, but it also has a lot to say about, you know, how you live now. Yeah. It's like two different sides of the fence. Like I remember going to worship services and they always did the prayer at the end to like collect people, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it was like, okay, you're on, you're on this side of the fence now. But then there was this weird kind of, how do I stay on the, am I here forever? Do I stay on the, how do I stay on this side? You know, what do I need to do to stay on this side? And like, I, like I, I've always compared it to like a marriage. Like, I think some marriages happen when, like, okay, I'm married now, and I don't, but I'm not like, like, marriage is a relationship. It's not something that you just are, mm. like, I'm married mm. now. Yeah. Like, right. There's Status. You have to. There's work. There's work involved to maintain the marriage. Otherwise, the marriage is dead. Right. Um, there's a great metaphor that works. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Thank you. It was so succinct. But then there's also like faith, like faith isn't like, I think faith is a work of itself. Hmm. Like faith without works. Well, faith is a work because it's a, having faith is a process. You don't also, you don't, I don't know how you, how you have faith. If you don't, this I'm blowing my mind right now. Like we're watching it happen. Have faith. <laughs> Like you don't have faith. Do you have faith? I don't know. But like the process in which you don't just believe and then that's it, right. you know? Yeah. The you, word faith isn't even belief is how we tend to think of it. Mm -hmm. But the word actually, when you get into it, um, it's pistis. That's the, that's the word. And it, it connotates more of a trust, mm -hmm. um, which if you think about that, right? Like here's a difference, this chair, you know, do mm -hmm. you believe it can hold you up? Mm -hmm. That's something you can do. Do you trust that it will hold you up? 
Yeah. Right. Do you feel, do you feel the difference? Right. Yeah. One is like, I might observe it and make a few, you know, assessments in my mind, but me trusting the chair involves me what right. sitting in it. Right. Does that make sense? Right. There's maintenance involved in faith. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a car, another metaphor. Like if faith was a car and you buy a car, you could drive the car, never change the oil, the fluids, the tires, rotate them. Eventually that car is going to die mm-hmm. and stop working. But if you maintain the car, then yeah, right. you can drive it as long as you want. Well, that's, I think, where she was going down the line of it's, it, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. They are so intertwined. It's hard yeah. to have that. Yeah. Our, our eternal, you know, the big picture salvation, she talked about that, you know, that has, you know, that is not based on our works, right? That, sure. Um, that is based on God's position to us. And I think what faith is about is about trusting that, mm-hmm. you know, like it is like when we come to faith, God's mind suddenly changes about us. Yeah. And now he likes us. I think God's attitude has always been, you know, the one that Jesus reveals to us. We just don't necessarily trust it yet. Mm-hmm. And so faith is when I open myself up to that. Like, man, we can believe all day long we're forgiven, you know, like God's forgiven us. But to actually have faith in that mm-hmm. means to embrace the truth of it in a way that actually does something to me. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, so I always think about faith as in terms of trust, not belief. Mm-hmm. It involves belief, but it goes beyond it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. It's hard because I feel like your relationship with God or higher being or whatever, like it's, it's way more nuanced than I feel like the church has presented it in the past with faith. Like faith in order to be a Christian, you have to have the faith that everything is going to work out into good. Like, like it's always going to turn out great. Mm. And you have faith that everything is going to work out. And if it doesn't work out, it's not God's fault. Like, mm-hmm. but I feel like having faith and then the relationship involved in that, it's like, it's like even David cursed God and lamented, but with within that kind of bad relationship he had with God, there was still mm-hmm. a, he didn't just stop believing in God. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, I'm mad at God. I'm mad that this happened. I'm upset that this happened. Like the interesting thing is like there's still a relationship. Like he's still attributing his frustrations to God. Mm-hmm. So that there he still has faith in God, even though the context is in a struggle, mm-hmm. in a negativity. So I feel like as our relationships, like our relationship as like as Christians or, or believers or, you know, spiritual people, like we should take heart when we're not necessarily feeling good about God, mm-hmm. that we still recognize that there is a relationship happening. Yeah, at least you're talking. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's like, the signifier of faith, you know, isn't necessarily you're saying nice things, mm-hmm. but you're talking, mm-hmm. you know, you're keeping the communication open. Um, yeah. Like your connection with God isn't necessarily contingent on how you're feeling about him, mm-hmm. you know, or yep. if, if, it, if you got, if you and God are good, you mm-hmm. know, like. Well, what I think is interesting, I thought it was interesting just kind of reflecting on this is the, how the Bible kind of like, it disagrees with itself, but in a really cool way. So like you'll find here in James an emphasis on works as opposed to faith. 
because probably in that context they needed to hear them mm-hmm. you know like they they were probably too laissez-faire in terms of how they were living it was like yeah what sets me right with god is just that i trust god not what i actually do you know so it comes in with a challenge to that you know but then you read in places like romans where paul really hammers and even ephesians and all stuff really hammers the role of faith that you know it isn't just about what you do and trying really hard it's about embracing god's love for you mm-hmm. you can imagine times in your life where you would need to hear one more than the other yeah i don't i don't just need to hear one you know there's times where i'm being really hard on myself i don't feel like i'm doing enough you know what's the message i need to hear in that moment yeah hey, hey, hey. i heard a teaching on this once uh in james from um adam hamilton and he would some would go as far as to claim faith of that works is actual functional atheism mm-hmm. and i mean that's a harsh term to yeah. swallow yeah so i think maybe you're right at the time and place this is kind of what people yeah had to hear well i think that's what i appreciate about this passage is that it's like it, it to me it, it, it confronts me with the fact that like in my life often lacks congruency like mm-hmm. there's all these incongruencies between what i say i believe and how i actually live my lives when james is talking about works he's not talking about religious you know activity like going to church, you know, paying your tithe. He's talking about putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. Mm -hmm. So if I truly believe that forgiveness is always better, you know, than unforgiveness, and yet, you know, I don't actually try to forgive myself or anybody else, then do I really believe that forgiveness is better? Like, it it confronts you with that, you know, the, the incongruencies in our life. Okay, you claim that you think, you know, simplicity and generosity is better, but let's actually look at your you know spending habits let's look at your calendar like do you really is that really what you believe or do you just like the way that it sounds right you see what i'm saying yeah yeah so i think it can can it confronts you with that like you know if your your true convictions and beliefs your faith is not going to be something you say right it's going to show up in how you actually live, right. which brings me to my favorite part about our message that really kind of stayed with me is that relationship, like how our faith and our works can work together, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to things like doubt or discouragement. I love that part, yep. you know, where she said that something is. along the lines of like the cure to our doubt or discouragement is to actually do the works of faith. And I, I agree, you know, like um, I can have all sorts of intellectual questions, you know, about about faith, about God, about Jesus. But man, what I can't doubt is the fruit that shows up in my life when I actually practice them. Of course. Like who I am as a person, you know, when I open myself up uh, to the God that Jesus reveals to us, when I actually try to put into practice his teachings, man, the fruit of that Mm -hmm. convinces me even more that there's something to that. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. I see that in our community a lot. You know, at Emmaus, we're a melting, mixing pot of various stances on faith and belief and some of the people that are really engaged and serving struggle mm-hmm. with a lot of this but you see them you know serving or participating and whether they see it or not yet like i see jesus in that yeah, oh yeah absolutely and I, I believe that they are coming to as well you know like i do i think it's it's it might not be as like quick and as obvious as we'd like right. but i mean i'm telling you what convinces me more than anything that this that Jesus really is who he says he is mm-hmm. is putting his way of life into practice like nothing convinces me all of my intellectual doubts can bring me to some pretty like 
sometimes scary places, but like that never gets, that never gets rocked. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, it, it brings me back. How sure. do we, how do we cut some slack for the people that don't go to soup kitchens and build houses on the weekends for people? I think that's what he's saying. Like, it's not necessarily what you're signing up to do and, and how you're serving. It's, it's, simple things how do you treat your literal neighbor mm -hmm. how do you stop and talk to someone and hear their story and see how you can help like it's not they want to start overwhelming people like you know, well, like... I, when i'm talking about that i, I don't necessarily those are like that's those are events mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's not mm -hmm. a lifestyle mm -hmm. you know for me it's in the ways in which man i really want to bite this person's head off but i choose not to right and instead i practice turning the other cheek which isn't just passive, you know, mm -hmm. it, there's, it's more creative than that. It's responding in a way that creatively can acknowledges the wrong that's happening, but doesn't return it, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I actually take a second and do that and, and the fruit that often happens in that moment, not just for me, but even for them, I'm like, man, there's, there's, it's like hocus pocus. There's something to yeah. it. Yeah. You know, like for me growing up, it was never learning about this, learning about faith without works. The works were never, these nuanced works, mm -hmm. they were always charity. Mm -hmm. It was always mm -hmm. make sure you're doing good deeds. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're not, you don't really believe in Jesus. Right. You know, and I, I feel like somewhere along the line, that was well-intentioned, you know, like, mm -hmm. but you're right. Mm -hmm. It sometimes just stops there, yeah. you know. Well, they, they can serve as a great jump start. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, I love this. Um, it's funny, this, this part of the message got me thinking about there's this like debate in social sciences like how do people really change mm -hmm. like, do you change your thinking and then your behavior you know which makes sense right like you gotta you know change your stinking thinking mm -hmm. and that's what leads to better living and then i've also heard you don't think your way into a new way of acting you act your way into a new right. way of thinking mm -hmm. like i think that it's, it's like it's mushy, cyclical yeah mushy for me you know and i think this message speaks to that like sometimes going away to a soup kitchen on a mission trip mm -hmm. can jumpstart me folding that into my life not in just an event kind of orientation but like my everyday interactions with people you know so it, right. i think it's all it all works together and i actually think that's the point yeah that deborah made and james is making is like hey like you know what strengthens your faith works mm -hmm. you know like um so I have, I have a question all right this is a very self-reflective message you're analyzing how you're thinking about things, you know, how you're carrying out the teachings of Jesus when you hear things like this. How do you address ego in this? Um, you know, you think back hundreds of years, people who really thought they were, you know, following this to a T and then like, ugh, you know, they, they felt almost self-righteous in it. Hmm. How do you prevent yourself from being too comfortable with how you're doing with it. Hmm. It's a good, really good question. And it was funny as I think even, even the willingness to ask that question to me is the answer. Like, how do I keep my ego in check? Well, just take a second and first recognize you're even concerned with that. Mm. You're even concerned with your ego. What is that from? Where's that coming from? For me, I think that's the presence of the spirit in your life. I was, we were just talking at the table actually Sunday night about parenting, you know, and somebody made a point. They were like, there's a lot of concern 
a lot of people have about am I being a good parent, you know? And they're like, well, that's like the first. Yeah. Like some of the, the best parents usually ask that question and don't usually feel like they are doing the best job. Right. So I think having a practice of self-reflection, you know what I mean? Like where you're even like, how am I doing with my ego? Is my ego getting away here? And assume it probably is, mm. you know? Um, and I would say something else is because I can imagine me, like how I go about this process and I can even think with you, um, checking our ego, making sure it's just because you might have those thoughts, you know what I mean? The egocentric thoughts creep in and all that kind of stuff. Like, doesn't mean your ego's getting the best of you. Like you can have those judgmental thoughts and it's what you do with them. I think that that really matters, you know? Yeah. Like I'll catch myself all the time. We go, I think I've shared it before. We go to this place in North Carolina at the pool, um, at the beach place that we stay and I can catch myself, man, having all sorts of thoughts, you know, towards people like nasty ones, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily can control that. Those thoughts just pop, pop in my head. You know, what do I do with them once they do? Right. Do I relish in them? Do I share them? Do I, you know, or do I just kind of acknowledge what they are? Ew, ew David, you know, like whatever, and just kind of let them go. As a, a reference to a television show. <laughs> I think they'll get it, Lindsay. <laughs> I don't hear David on a podcast. Ew. Like, I don't remember David, David saying, ew, or. Tomasha's Creek. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I just finished a book, Timothy Keller, uh, freedom of self-forgetfulness and it was talking a lot about the goal really is lack of ego you know not having over or under just lack Hmm. i like i i've grown to not like the word selflessness Mm -hmm. in christian circles particularly because i've seen some people grow up in environments where it's like it's not about you it's not about you selflessness selflessness and I think that there is a healthy place for ego and a healthy sense of self. Actually, I think first half of life is really predominantly about us figuring that out. Who are you? Mm-hmm. And like I think about with my kids, like, it's not that I don't want them to have a self. I want them to know who they are, understand they have gifts and have weight and presence and like what they do with their life and their choices matters because they're a self. You know, the phrase I like better is self-givenness. Mm-hmm. It's to grow to a point where... I'm not just trying to, I, I'm, it's not about me. I don't have, but it's to recognize what I have to offer for the good of others. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So he, like, he calls that gospel humility. Hmm. Hmm. It's ironic that like the self-proclaimed critics of these movements that recognize the self more often mm-hmm. are lacking the humility mm-hmm. to not condescend Hmm. by shaming others other movements or other people on like it's not about the self you should recognize your own depravity Mm -hmm. and like without like it's all about your own personal relationship with jesus and stuff and like that could get over that could get carried away Mm -hmm. but like i think it's about yourself yeah. and then it's about the community. Yep. It's about God. It's all of that, all the things. Well, I think about the woman. It's one of my favorite stories in the gospel. 
the woman who sneaks up and touches Jesus's cloak mm-hmm. and she's healed. You know, what I love about that moment is like Jesus is insistent on her presenting herself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, who was it who touched me? Like, who was, should come, come on, you know, come forward. And she eventually does. And I love what he says to her. He's like, hey, your faith has made you well, which to me is such a radical thing. Because a lot of Christian environments you grow up in, mm-hmm. see, it wasn't about you. It was about God's, it was about yeah. Jesus' power. That's what healed you. But what did Jesus say to her? Your faith, your you. faith has made you well. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a statement of empower. Yeah, it's obvious, you know, that her faith in what Jesus could do. You know, Jesus's power went out of him and made her well, but her faith had something to do with it, you know? And I think a lot of Christian circles throw that part out. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. You, know, you don't have anything good in you, nothing to offer. And so you find a lot of Christians who don't think they, they can make any difference, who, you know, you, you ask them to do something. Ah, I don't think that's me. You know, you don't. Yes, it is. Like you have a voice, you know? Yeah. Um, I think about John the Baptist. You know, what what he says when Jesus comes on the scene, you know, he's like, I'm a voice mm-hmm. crying in the wilderness. Uh, I must, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. But I love that line. I'm, I'm a voice calling in the wilderness. I'm not the message, but I am a voice, mm-hmm. you know. And I think we have too many Christians mm-hmm. in churches who are not aware yeah. of mm-hmm. the weight and the voice and the power they have. So mm-hmm. I don't like selflessness. I like self-givenness. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That was a fun little rabbit trail. It was. Well, how many questions did you guys get last week for the podcast? Uh, I don't think. Did we get any? We got none. We got zero. All right, zero well, this week, questions. We got two. Yeah, we did. So if you are wanting to contribute to the conversation and turn in a question, we are emailing. Emailing Nick. Me. Nick at EmmausChurchSC.com. Yeah. And you can also offer your icebreakers because I think we're going to tank eventually with icebreakers Icebreakers. what do you want to know about us (laughs) what do you want to know about us that would be fun um okay so i got a question here it's from my mom nancy oh nancy i love nancy Mm -hmm. she says james takes our understanding of worship to a whole new level Mm. for example what we do as a community of believers on sundays includes the good works carried out in our daily lives so the question is does this understanding have an impact on how we think about good works does it help us find the time, find the money, listen more closely, respond more readily, or does it jack up the guilt quotient? Hmm. The point is to understand and, and bring light to the good works and, and to think about it. And that should help us find the time. And I think guilt is important in that a little bit. I think it's not all bad. I think if you feel guilty, then maybe preach into the choir kind of thing. Like, I don't think guilt is always, always a negative thing. Guilt. I mean, kind of like Deborah said, are you, are you okay? It's conviction. Yeah. Conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, guilt that goes beyond conviction becomes like what condemnation. And what that tells you is things will never get better. Things will never change. But I think guilt or conviction can spur you on to like, Hey, Hey, yeah, we can do better than this. Right. You know, but I love that question about worship. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, being in Christian circles for as long as I've had, I've always had a hard time with the way people have approached worship, particularly like that just means singing, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, one day we're going to be in heaven and just sing, singing to God. It's all about God. And I'm like, how these songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, 
it presents God like this picture, like, you know, God is like, give me your glory, you know, like give all your glory to God and like worship God and tell him how great he is. It kind of presents God like he's sitting up there like needy, like, all right, I'm feeling a little insecure today. Yeah. You know, tell me how, I don't think worship, what do you give to somebody who already has everything they need? Like God already has right. everything God needs, you know, um, even loving the Psalms. He's like, what is this to me? Like, He's like, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you for food. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. I am self content. Worship is more about us coming into co- communion with what God is really like and who God really is. That's so, why I don't like it when people say, um, you want to come, you, you come to church and then you, you leave emptied out, you know, mm-hmm. like you, it's, it's that sacrificial we're still sacrificing lamb, mm-hmm. you know, like when, when, if you go to church and you leave less than you were when you came in, I think that like, we're still in that, mm-hmm. we're still in that stage mm-hmm. rather than coming in with all of your BS, replacing that BS with the reminder of God's presence in your life mm-hmm. and that coming from the worship and the message. Yeah. And that's a really simplified way to say that but yeah. um but i mean how do we and jesus jesus took this to a whole other level he's like how do you love god you know you love other people like that is actually how you love god mm-hmm. is in is by loving someone else and this echoes what the prophets said i mean it shows up in the psalms and isaiah i think it shows up in amos or it's like through the prophet god's really like i'm tired of your songs i'm sick of your like religious festivals he's like I don't want that. That isn't what I want. What I want is justice. What I want is mercy. What I want is for you to actually do right by each mm-hmm. other. That's what God really desires. So I think your mom's spot on. Like good works isn't about like making God happier with us. I think it's about making God's reality more real. Mm-hmm. Like we are bringing the, the, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. You know, this fulfills the prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. What is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we do that, that is the purest form of worship. Yep. You know, I would argue is like, we're I, kind. I say with like the guilty part of it, like the guilting part, there's there's definitely a level of self-awareness that comes along with like, we know when we're being guilt tripped. Mm-hmm. And then we, we also know when we're feeling guilty mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. for not putting forth the All effort. Right. So... I don't know. Yeah. No, One keeps you stuck. You know, it just keeps you focused on what's, what you're not doing and how it's not going. I think if it, if it really, you know, it, it doesn't have to play that role, though. It can play the role of, I can do better than this. You know, I could give more. I could care more. Um, yeah. So I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think guilt is all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes we should feel guilt for the things that we do because it hurts people and it hurts us. And it's not okay. I think I get a little, I'll be honest, I get a little squeamy sometimes with some of the, I don't know, I hate using labels, but maybe more the the progressive left side wants to just like, feels like everything wants to be warm and fuzzy. Everything's okay. It's like, no, it's not. Like, not everything's okay, you mm-hmm. know, uh, in, the, in the church circles. Sure. You know, it's like we, we grew tired of hearing the word how sinful we are. I totally understand that. I get tired of that too. Grew up all the time. You're sinful. Nothing good in you. You're bad. Blah, blah, blah. 
But I don't think the answer to that is to say, well, we're not sinful. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just not all that we are. You know, okay. there's more to us than that. But like, I can be a jerk. I can let people down. You know, I can mm-hmm. let myself down. And I don't need to feel good about that. I think I need to feel a little edge there, sure. you know? Sure. No doubt. All right. You ready for a second question? Yeah, this was juicy. Yeah, this is good. This is from Gail. And she wants to know, well, she's talking about Abraham being righteous because he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And she's always struggled with that story. Why would a God, even an Old Testament God, want a father to kill his child? Mm -hmm. Um, She says it seems something more like a vengeful high school mean girl would do to manipulate a friend. so the whole go kill your kid to prove you're a faithful thing is just really hard for her to understand. Abraham, Abraham obviously had faith, but he was asked to do such a terrible deed. Yeah. She's talking about verse 23 in chapter 2 of James, where he lifts up Abraham as an example. It says, thus the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Um and verse 21, even it says, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, yeah. I mean, that always has been kind of like an icky, mm-hmm. you know, I remember even learning that in Sunday school, like, yeah. as a young kid being like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, like he, God's telling Abraham to go kill Isaac. Like that doesn't seem like something God would say, you know? Yeah. It is a little jarring. Um, y'all have thoughts on it? No. <laughs> not until you speak. Uh-huh. I listened to a Bible project. They have all the formats now. You can read, you can listen, you can, there's videos, but um, it's a teaching platform. And they were tackling hard, hard passages. Mm -hmm. And they talked about this one and it brought me, I I, I came to peace with a lot of it when, based on some of their points. And I don't necessarily know if this is going to answer Gail's question, but I feel like it's a way of offering some peace about the story the first point was that Abraham and God already had an established relationship. Mm. You know, Abraham had already uh, trust, you know, trusted God, proven faithful and all the things. And so they're pointing out that Abraham knew Isaac wasn't going to die. Mm -hmm. Like even then some of the wording he chooses Mm. and saying, you know, God will, will provide the sacrifice. um, And, or even resurrect Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, so in going up the mountain, Abraham, that was his demonstration of faith. Like he already knew that Isaac was not actually going to die. So because of who he knew God, because he, yeah. who he knew God to be. So I really like that. And then also they pointed out the parallel between this story and the crucifixion itself, mm-hmm. um, a long awaited son, even carrying the wood up the mountain yeah. kind of thing. Um, and how, you know, Jesus then was the ultimate sacrifice. So, you know, you go back to your parallels yeah, from the old to new Testament and it helped me understand maybe why mm-hmm. they told this story, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't answer Gail's question of like, why would God ask in the first sure. place? <laughs> well, and I even think, um, you gotta, you gotta look at how new Testament authors use the old Testament. They use it very liberally. <laughs> like they don't, uh, they don't even start with like the the original author's intended meaning of a text. They take it and use it how they want to. And so like in this teaching in James, James isn't 
pointing back to that story to make some sort of statement about the character of God. You know, he's talking about that story as to say something about what does faith actually look like? Mm -hmm. Faith looks like him, Abraham, willing to do, to act, you know? Uh, so faith requires action. Like that's the point he's making. He's not, we got to be careful to take every little part of the Bible and make it say everything about everything. Mm -hmm. You know, people get in trouble with the parable sometimes, you know, like, uh, every parable is exhaustive and like what it has to say about God, about us. And it's like, no, most parables Jesus tells are about something specific. Like, um, the one about prayer where he says, you know, it's like the woman, uh, in front of a judge and that judge isn't going to listen to her unless she is annoying and persistent. And because he doesn't want to deal with her anymore, he'll grant her requests. Mm -hmm. like, that's what prayer is like. Some people are like, Ugh, mm. is that what God's like? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, what should our posture in prayer be like? It should be that tenacious, you know, because in other places, the way Jesus talks about what God is like, it's nothing like the judge character in the parable. Does that make sense? So even here, James is not, you know, uh, affirming that God is that way. You know what I mean? He's talking about it for the purpose of like, what does faith actually look like? But even if you go back to the story in Genesis, Abraham and Isaac, I actually think the story is doing exactly what Gail, uh, why she, why she's bothered by it. I actually think the story is like affirming that, um, you know, Abraham, when he's told to sacrifice Isaac, doesn't argue with God. He doesn't go, how, how could you? Mm -hmm. like, no, he assumes this is what he's got to do because that's what he's used to, you know, in, in that age, human sacrifice was part of it. I mean, if things, if you wanted things to go good for you, you needed to offer things of value to the gods because they were angry mm -hmm. and they weren't happy with you. And so you had to provide, you know, the right kind of sacrifice. And so, and even the area that Abraham comes out of, we can look back, you know, through historical records, archaeology, they, they practiced human. So this was what he assumed the gods were actually like, mm -hmm. right? They make these kind of demands. You, you do it, right? And so if you notice, he gets up there, though, and God stops him. And instead, God provides a sacrifice. I think the whole thing is meant to be this sort of like experiential teaching. You think I'm like all those other gods, uh -huh. but I'm actually not. You know, this encounter with God does not affirm human sacrifice. It actually it says this God doesn't right. require that. This God is not like that. You know, I think that's the whole point of of that moment is not. It's to convince us and Abraham that this God is different. This God isn't like the ones you're used to. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's how I read it. But still, I love that. Some people get uncomfortable with questions like that, like what Gail asked, because it's like, it feels like you're undermined. Like mm -hmm. you just need to believe it because it's yeah. in the Bible. But you got, I got to understand where even from, like, I know from, for me, when I have questions like that, they don't come from a place of like trying to undermine the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's really trying to hold on to what I believe that God is like Jesus, like, and the Jesus and the, and the God that I know in Jesus isn't like that, you know? So how do you reconcile it? So it's coming from, a, I think, a really great place, you know? Um, this is kind of the part where I like just step back with the Bible and like, I've accepted that there are scriptures and parts of the Bible, several that 
it's going to take longer than my lifetime to reconcile, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of just like, it's my shift to keep the torch lit, you know, yeah. you know, I'm part of a way bigger campaign or story or movement, you know, where finding out, finding solace in certain scriptures is going to take a lot longer than, <laughs> so I've just yeah. decided to be, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think it, in, in my mind, that story actually, to me, is a great picture of what the whole Bible is. The whole story of the Bible actually is. It's waking people up to what God's actually like. Sure. You know, we all come into this with all these preconceived ideas of what God's like based on our experience, what we've been told and what our parents were like and all of this. It's just we cake all of this onto God. And faith, a lot of ways, is about learning to unlearn some of that. God actually isn't like that. God isn't that vindictive or, you know, um, God is more loving than that, more beautiful than that. It's a story of God waking people up. Sure. And in a lot of ways, this story of Abraham and Isaac is a really cool kind of like allegory for that. You mm -hmm. know, this is what faith really looks like. It's coming to realize God is different and better than all the other ideas of God that I've inherited, yeah. picked up along the way. I've always thought the wording in, in the James passage about calling them uh, Abraham and who is it? Ray. Rahab. Rahab. Mm -hmm. um, God's friend. Because mm. I always think of like the the parenting thing. You don't want to be their friend. You want to be their parent. And I'm like, that's just a really weird mm. use of words. They, the, he was God's friend. She was God's friend. But I think culturally at the time, wasn't that like a main thing? Like, are you like friends with God versus friends with the world? Mm. Like, what's your, what are you choosing? Yeah. So I think, I think the passage highlights the importance of the personal. Yeah. Are you walking? Connection. Yeah. Yeah. Are you walking with God? Are you familiar with God? Are you friend? Yeah. I mean, yes. That's good. I love that language too. Hmm. Good question, Gail. Yeah. Good question. Do we have any more? No. That's all we got. That's all we got. What what are some things we can do with this? Lead people with action steppy, practical. What works can they what well? Can I mean, they? I think I mean I could and this is not <laughs> a church staff member presenting this, but I mean getting involved in something, we could easily help you figure that out. You know, like <laughs> what yeah. do you want? Are you because literally in mind? We have works, um, whether it be on Sunday mornings or with our community partners. So I mean that is definitely an action step, mm -hmm. but I think smaller would just be like, I would just think find a situation this week, whether it's an encounter with another person or something that's been on your mind and, and follow it up personally, what you feel like, like, like Jesus would teach you mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. That's good. I'd say you just start forgiving some people. There's somebody not, no one, no one lives their life mm -hmm. like there's not a single person on this earth that doesn't need to forgive some but like it's just completely cool with everybody yeah and the cool thing about forgiveness is you don't have to say to that person find that person say i forgive you you know you, you can forgive them on your own and let that let that hate or that frustration go and that's leaning into works yeah yeah i had two thoughts I'm a big fan of um, like taking an audit, you know, of certain things. I talked about that last week with our words, but I mean, 
I mean, there's something to think about. Like, if my faith is revealed by my works, hmm. by my behavior, you know, what does some of my behavior say about what I actually trust? This is not, not to beat yourselves up, but to have an honest assessment, you know, and I think it, it honestly, it can help target areas for prayer. Sure. You know, it's like, man, I have noticed I have been very stingy. You know, what does that mean about what I actually believe, you know, or trust? Mm-hmm. I've, help me with that, God, you know, and then I would say the next thing is like, it's almost like this opposite action idea you hear a lot in like therapy sometimes. Um mm-hmm. I'm thinking about people who who are feeling discouraged in an area or frustrated by a particular thing. Don't wait around for the right feelings about it. Start doing the stuff, you know, like there's somebody that is really hard for you. You don't like them. You can't stand them. You work with them. You can't get away from them. Don't wait to have warm and fuzzies about them before you start treating them kindly, treat them kindly, like be generous towards them, you know, in your attitude and behavior. And then watch that change how you feel about them. Mm-hmm. Like that's how it works. I'll be whatever that is. There's some area where you're frustrated or discouraged, and you're you're just like waiting for God to change how you don't. What would it look like to act sort of an opposite action kind of way in that direction? So maybe you're you noticing you are stingy. Like it's hard for you to share or give. Don't wait to feel like sharing or start doing it, mm-hmm. and that will begin to kind of change your heart towards it. Mm-hmm. You tracking with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So opposite action. All right. That's what I got. You want to close this out in prayer? I'd love to. Let's pray. God, thank you again for this chance. Um, just keep it going. Keep talking about uh, what you're saying to us, how you're speaking to us um, when we get together on Sunday mornings. And I pray for everybody listening that, Lord, if they're feeling stuck, I pray, Lord, that you um, just help them get their feet chopping to look for something to do something good to do that's in the direction of the kind of person they want to become. Because we're going to trust that you're going to use that to strengthen our faith and to actually shape our character. And so help us be people who um, who don't separate our faith from our works, but help us to be people who integrate them, uh, be people who uh, incarnate them so that people can see our faith and experience our faith based on how we live and the sort of presence we have um, in their lives. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.